The word multimedia is the use of a variety of artistic or communicative media using more than one medium of expression or communication. Café is a type of establishment that serves coffee and is known as a place where information can be exchanged. The following is the audio version of the Multimedia Café. Welcome to the Multimedia Cafe Week in Review. Thank you folks for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. My name is Jason Spies. I'm your host. Thank you folks for joining us here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Well, we've got a fantastic program in store for you today, a Week in Review. Of course, all of our interviews can be found at thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. The Crude Life is our parent company, so to speak, our website where we like to dump all of our interviews onto, as well as past programs, which are podcasted as well. Let's go through today's topics and guests, if you wouldn't mind. Riley Sassy, he's out of Wyoming and also up there in Williston, North Dakota. He talks about some fabrication and a few other things, but mostly about how his business ethics has really carved out a nice niche and a nice business for him where he is able to grow it at a manageable pace, but he's also able to keep his ethics and his oh his scruples intact, if you will. In today's business climate, I figured that was worth a story in itself, plus we find out a little bit more about Riley Sassy and Red River Company coming up in just a moment or two. Also, Heath Holloway comes on the program with Titan Solutions a little bit later in the program. He's out of Colorado, gives us a little bit of an update what's going on there, and much, much more with Heath Holloway, Titan Solutions. And Mike Lynch, the president of Strategic Energy and Economic Research. All that and much, much more on today's episode of the Multimedia Cafe Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies, and you're listening to the Multimedia Cafe Week in Review. Now, let's get right to our first interview. Mr. Riley Sassy with Red River Company. Riley Sassy with River. Red River, is that right? Yes, sir. All right. Red River, what is it? Now, I actually, I don't know if you know this or not, but the Red River, I used to live, um, it was in my backyard. And it was the Red River of the North, not the Red River down in Texas, but the Red River in North Dakota. But you're talking about the Red River in um, Wyoming here. So um, just a little, little bit of history of the name, if you wouldn't mind. Well, to tell you the truth, there's nothing cool about the name. Yeah, we were just having a family argument, and we wanted it to be something simple. And we're like, well, Red River. Yeah, let's do Red River. Sounds good. <laughs> well, I, I think it's genius because not only do you catch the attention of people in North Dakota, but you catch the attention of people in Texas. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Was, that, was that by design, or was that just basically just the, the, one of the nice offshoots that organically came from the name? Yeah, I would say that it was luck of the draw because, you know, there's 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 pros and cons to all those things. You know, we do catch the attention, like you said, but then the other thing is is there's a billion red rivers online. So when you Google it, it's actually kind of hard to find us. So we've had to really work on our keywords, you know, so our name comes up. I get that. So talk to me about those keywords. What are some of the, the things, bullet points, that you want people to know about Red River? And then, you know, of course, transition that into what the services are you offer. 
So the biggest thing is, and it sounds cliche, but we, we like to say that we care more. And so uh, a lot of what I tell people is that we don't, you know, we don't just bid every single RFP that comes through our office, you know, we, but we're focused on a few larger clients so we can really get in their head and understand their business and uh, bring true value, you know. It's hard to bring value to a thousand people because you got to understand them all, right? And so... Uh, that's been our that's been our strategy is to serve a few larger clients and serve most multiple areas of their business so we can really get in their heads. So yeah, talk to me about um, that value a little bit. You know, I mean, it's um, you're finding success in you know we used to call it the you know velvet glove the white glove treatment to where less client was it Jerry Maguire even I think he had a whole movie based on that you know less clients. Uh, more attention towards the clients, and then he got fired for that. So you're kind of going against the grain here. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I mean, it's not that we're going to turn people down, you know, but we're going to take a really hard look at whether we can bring value. And we, when we meet with a new company to see if, you know, we're going to do some work for them or whatever, we before we even approach and we look at their core values, we look at who they are, we meet some of their people and try to get to know them a little bit and make sure that there's actual chemistry. Because, it, I mean, I, I view it no different than um, if I'm just going to go work, you know, get a nine-to-five job. And i got to like my boss. i got to like who I work for. i got to make sure I have the same core values and I'm going to fit in that company. And so we take a hard look at all that because that's key to make sure that we can make them happy, you know. I know. I and, get it. I mean, it's, it's refreshing, actually, to hear that, that type of um, – business ethics and value system still is out there today. I mean, there's, uh, you know, we live in an instant oatmeal society where 20% profit isn't even good anymore. It's got to be 120% profit. And that, you know, was a change that happened in the last 10 years very quickly. And so people have become very cutthroat in business. People have become, uh, I like to call them chuck and jivers. It's a term from you know, the old 70s WKRP in Cincinnati, there was a, and this is when I was a real little kid. I mean, I'm surprised they even remember it, but there was a salesman, Herb Tarlick, who had like just outrageous sports coats, and he was kind of a chuck and jiver type thing. And um, we were talking a little bit about this before, about how, you know, the industry does a really good job of weeding it out. And I like what you're doing on the upfront side because really what you're talking about is more of a communication and a coexistence of personalities. Are they going to mesh? Because you know as well as I do that if they don't, you might have a six-month to a year business relationship, but it's probably going to end sour. Do you know what I mean by that? Right, right, exactly. We try to exercise the foresight a little bit, you know? And yeah. It's, it's, it's really worked well in the long run. I mean, because the thing is, is you got human nature involved, and that's what's, that's what, you know, a lot of these issues, we, we, we like to say that 90% of issues in business come down to people, and people are almost always the solve for any issue. But what I'm getting at is that you have human nature involved, and if, if people don't like each other, and they're forced to pretend like they like each other all the time, it's not going to be as productive and valuable as if they actually do like each other. I mean, it sounds sounds kind of simplistic, but it's a big deal. I think. I mean, I gotta like who I'm working with and enjoy their company and work. You know, at least be on the same same uh, playing field. You know. 
No, I get that. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because it's, it's hard for some people to conceptualize that or visualize that probably because they've never taken the walk before. But um, when what you're talking about is not easy. It's not easy because there's there's tough decisions. There's sometimes uh, group votes that might not go in the in, in the way that you want. And uh, what are some of the challenges, I guess, that, that, that you've had? with this with this mission and core that you guys have you know making sure that every every deal that you do you do is, is a right fit because like you said this is not an arrogance thing this is just trying to have a foresight for both sides thing right exactly well you know there's always the deals where you know sometimes you have a deal that doesn't go how you want you end up losing money on it or you know you don't make as good a profit as you hoped and Mr. Riley Sassy, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment or two. We're going to take a brief pause. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Riley Sassy with Red River Company. My name is Jason Spies, and you're listening to the Multimedia Cafe Week in Review. Smoking, I'm joking with the people that have... Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio. And if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we continue the conversation with Riley Sassy with Red River Company. Right, exactly. Well, you know, there's always the deals where, you know, sometimes you have a deal that doesn't go how you want. You end up losing money on it or, you know, you don't make as good a profit as you hoped and whatnot. But we got to look at that as, like, we're looking. We're playing the long game here, you know. Um, sometimes we miscalculate, and we we gotta eat, we gotta suck it up and, and keep rolling for the customer, you know. I say I, I suppose that's probably one of the challenges. Um, the other, obviously, the other challenges that come with it internally and externally is that it does narrow the playing field of who you're going to play with, and so, and I, I uh, it makes our sales cycle really long. So if we take on a new client, uh, we do quite a bit of research on who we're actually going to target. And then, you know, it takes a while to get them on board. And we try to understand, um, here's another little challenge that just popped in my head too that comes up, is that we, we try to um, tailor our, uh, whatever you want to call it, their, our standard operating procedures to fit theirs as well to an extent right i mean you can't you can't tailor your business to be the same as everybody else's but we try to understand their operating procedures internally so that our our processes 
at least mesh and like we don't want to make their life harder um, and make more work for them internally and so we spend a little time there and uh, understand how they like to see things even paperwork wise you know maybe it's formatting um, the, the quality control books that come with our products you know um, and so it can create a little more work but we think it pays in the long run uh, go ahead sorry well, I'm kind of switching subjects. If you had a question, I was going to just talk about the getting employees. But sure, yeah, no, I was going to ask you where you're based out of, and and yeah, I'll tell you what. Why don't you start with where you're based out of and kind of your service range, and then you can transition that into employees. You bet. So we're headquartered in Gillette, Wyoming, and we have a shop in uh, North Dakota and Williston as well. Um, right now, we're kind of spread out in Gillette. We've got four different shops and we're working on moving into a bigger one where we can put everything together um our basic model is fab and ship and we back it up with a guarantee that anything we fab that doesn't fit it will get fixed for free and it'll get fixed yesterday so and that's to combat the naysayers on prefab um but otherwise, yeah, we ship stuff all over the place. I mean, we, you know, we're shipping skids to um, Colorado, North Dakota, Wyoming, Montana. We've done work in South Dakota. Uh, we've shipped uh, product to uh, Washington State, even um, different places all around. So yeah. How was that shipping to Washington? How was that shipping to Washington State? Was there any issues with that? I know they've got some. Um, accelerated regulations on things yeah they do they got insane regulations <laughs> insane or accelerated they both work <laughs> yep um it depends on what it is i mean our product was small enough we you know it, didn't, it wasn't a big deal i mean if you get into overweight and over width and stuff like that in washington they're obviously a little tougher to deal with so ours okay. was more of a specialty technical fabrication for a hydroelectric plant they were putting together okay i see um talk to me a little bit about uh, who your customer is uh what type of products you've made for customers etc like that so we're a skid shop design build skid shop and we work for uh, what we'd like to describe as the larger forward-thinking oil companies so we try to we try to stay away from the accentuated um this is how we've always done it type people uh, and and try to work with the larger outfits that are open-minded to new ideas and things like that because that's kind of our you know we're a bunch of young guys and we, we like a challenge and so and we hate the status quo so everything that we do we're always looking at it to see if there's a better way or a more efficient or more valuable or that's, that's part of the fun you know so I like that. Um, we at the crude life, we are very much on the same page of that, and sometimes we find that that scares people, and um, and I I don't I don't know if it turns them off, but I've been told you know sometimes it comes across as a little aggressive. It comes across as not cocky, but it comes you know it just scares people because, like I said, I don't think they've walked that walk of just you know having a progressive mind and and having an open mind doesn't mean you're gonna 
land on that. It doesn't mean you're going to, you know, decide that's the way to go, but to even have that open mind. Um, right. have, you, have you, have you find that, that that's some companies are a little bit intimidated or a little bit afraid or a little bit standoffish by that mindset? Uh, well, it's, 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 uh, not easy to answer without stereotyping, but we've found that <laughs> it's typically the, it's typically the smaller outfits that, um, well, yeah, I'll just stop there. We've we've been very we've been very impressed with some of the larger businesses. That surprises and, me, actually. I would have thought it'd be the flip. Yeah, they just they have a lot of younger talent moving in. I see. With a lot that's, of ideas, and they're that's what yeah, it is. They're, just, they're open to stuff. And the other thing is, is that if we first get them to understand that we're not just chucking ideas at them, and then they're going to be on their own. That's you know that's one thing. But if they can understand that we're going to be there with them and like when that they install that skid five years from now if they call us we're going to be here and we're going to pull up the old prints and we're going to understand it and help solve the issue you know what i mean so it's not like you know we're here gone today gone tomorrow type of thing and that when they see that that helps as well you know because we're our goal is the same as theirs is that we want we want um uptime on the equipment and so because obviously we're in the same boat there is that if, if we have if we sell them a piece of equipment and they don't have uptime, um, that means we're going to be out there as well. So we want it to work. Riley Sassy on the line with us with Red River. Uh, you guys have a website? Yes, sir. It's uh, redriver.team. Redriver.team, huh? Yeah. You know, dot-coms are getting more and more rare. I know. I mean, I, I joked to someone the other day. I said, the somebody asked me about a website name, and, and it had, a I think, a hyphen in it or something like that. And I said, I would much rather do a sentence than a hyphen, meaning like, you know, this is my website. This was the only thing left.com, you know, type of a thing. Right, yeah. <laughs> they are yeah, all taken. Just, yeah, a hyphen just kind of says that. Like, if you see a hyphen, you just automatically think that they couldn't find anything. <laughs> Well, it's just, it's tough because how do you, how do you tell somebody, you know, verbalize when you got to say hyphen? It just, it's such a break in the thought process and everything. So, you know, and people in marketing know what I'm talking about. People who have hyphens in their website are probably small business owners and and they're like saying, oh, it works fine. And it does, it it works fine. You know, it's on a website and people will type it in, but it's just an extra step. That's all. So dot team. I've never even heard of dot team. I've heard of dot us. I've heard of dot ca dot gov. How dot uh, team? That's an interesting. Um, ta- well, I don't yeah, know I mean, dot dot no. whatever they're called suffix. We could have got a we could have got a dot com, but you know it was um, it was back when the dot coms were already starting to get used up. And we could have got it, but I just thought, well, why fight it? Why not? Let's get something memorable something that's a little more modern than that you know so um i thought what if there's a dot team and sure enough it was there and so we went with that and it's um yeah it's easy to remember so it is um i i remembered it and it's uh it's different it's 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 progressive it's exactly what it is it's it's um I think it's very intuitive the way things are going. I was just having a conversation about how uh, there's such a push for teams these days that it's it, even in schools you don't sit in an individual desk anymore. You sit in tables with teams of people, and um, right. So it's it's the way of the future, man. 
Uh, talk to me a little bit about your aspirations. Are you guys, um, you know, the Rocky Mountain region, it sounds like that's what you're servicing right now. Are you looking, you know, you said Washington, but are you looking at some of the other shale plays like down in Texas or Oklahoma or anything? You know, not yet. Uh, we are uh, fairly aspirational, so I guess it could change pretty easy. But right now we're just focused on the Bakken and Powder River and the DJ. And so, uh, but we've got a lot of growing to do, and we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. We we want to grow um, in terms of technology as well. So, you know, we're looking at robotics and things like that. And we think that um, we don't want to get geographical growth in, in front of expertise. And so, and that was Riley Sassy with Red River Company. To listen to the full length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe. People get up and they get up around and they go back to bed. Uh-huh. People get up and they get up around and they go back to bed. Uh-huh. Historic. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative. The cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. With construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Well, coming up next, we talk with Mike Lynch, President of Strategic Energy and Economic Research. I'm Michael Lynch. I'm President of Strategic Energy and Economic Research. Thank you very much for joining the program here. First off, talk about what it is that you guys do as the uh, organization that you're in charge of there. Well, we do uh, energy economics and policy is the short thing. We, we do a lot of forecasting. We look at uh, where oil and gas prices are going uh, and how that affects different businesses in the energy sector. And also, uh, having done this for many years, uh, I, I'm feel like I'm in the position to comment on policy making, uh, good and bad, mostly uh, the, the, the bad, I'm afraid. So let's talk a little bit about the, well, first off, ACE, this is uh, in the books. It's currently in the process of happening, so to speak. Has, has any of your research or any of your um, policy overlooking, has, has that come into play at all in your offices or... Have you guys looked elsewhere? Uh, a, a bit of both. Um, you know, we, we spend a lot of time uh, arguing about, uh, for example, that people do not have a good understanding of the nature of resources, um, that you get uh, the, what I refer to as a neo-Malthusian pessimism, uh, where 
so many people think uh, we're running out of oil and gas, uh, you know, we can't feed the population and so forth. Um, and so we try to argue um, against that, but also uh, that free markets are generally much better way of uh, allocating resources. Uh, we argue in favor of things like uh, pipelines, for example, uh, but also exports, uh, you know, ending export restrictions on oil and gas, which has mostly been accomplished now in this country. How about natural gas? Do you guys do much in the terms of natural gas? A lot of flaring going on, uh, a lot of opportunity out there for natural gas. Yeah, I mean, the fact of the matter is that uh, natural gas has a lot of advantages. Uh, it's the cleanest fossil fuel. Uh, it's, it works very well in a lot of applications better than uh, most other types of energy, including some would say electricity, um, for example, for space heating. Uh, the, the problem is that uh, it is relatively expensive to transport, um, especially overseas, and uh, the market internationally tends to be somewhat restricted by uh, monopolies and pra past practices so that uh, on a global level, natural gas is used a lot less than it should be. Um, and I think the, the U.S. Uh, LNG export business is, is uh, really making a big difference in that sector. One of the things that we've talked about in this program, pontificated, if you will, and we're, we're relatively a non-political program. We'll talk about policy, but we stay out of most of the political banter and, and debates. But one of the things that we have raised the question of is, what would the world look like if we shifted subsidies away from, say, solar and wind, who've had a pretty good uh, run of subsidies for 40 years? But let's say we shifted those to natural gas. And I, my belief is there's a lot of innovation out there in the natural gas world that if energy companies were able to tap into some additional funds, because at least up in my neck of the woods up in the Bakken, they're taxed very heavily, the oil companies are. They uh, make sure that the Little League teams have baseball uniforms and the churches have bake sales and Sometimes they just don't have enough money left over for research and development. And this would allow some natural gas providers that are crazy enough to sleep on these well sites and check monitors every day. And just it would, it would create a whole different little sub-economy type of a thing in my mind. Um, what do you make of something like, like that, you know, or if you shifted some subsidies? Because I believe the flaring issue could be solved in five years. And who knows what we'd come out of it. Maybe just some new super plastic that uh, you can build a house with. I don't know. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> As a matter of fact, I, I, 20 minutes ago, literally, I, a friend uh, on Twitter commented on uh, the environmental damage from the mining of sand to make concrete. And I commented, you know, maybe we need more plastic and less concrete. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it, unfortunately, so much of policymaking and thinking is, is based on cliches and, and uh, beliefs that are not well-founded. Um, a lot more natural gas should be used in places uh, around the world where people use, uh, you know, quote-unquote biomass, which is to say, you know, um, <clears throat> we'll say cow poop. Uh, to be polite for your listeners, um, 
uh, and and also, I mean, there's still huge amounts of coal, and yet people run around saying, "Oh, if only we didn't use natural gas in Berkeley, California, the world would be saved." And that's just that's just utter nonsense. And you know, I, it, that's not political. That's uh, I think. Um, but um, yeah, uh, the problem is, uh, how do you use natural gas in places like the Bakken, uh, where there's not ready uh, consumers? Um, but you have a superabundance of supply, and certainly there's a lot of things you can do with hydrocarbons generally, and, and methane uh, in particular, um, that we haven't really exploited as much as we have. As, as you say, you know, the people people uh, in the environmental community like to talk about the huge subsidies for fossil fuels, and usually what they mean is that gasoline in Iran is three cents a gallon, uh, not that uh, oil and gas in the U.S. is subsidized particularly. Um, so the, uh, you know, the amount of money going into building uh, solar panels, which are very uh, poor technology, just you know, seriously inadequate in most uses, uh, versus natural gas, which is heavily taxed and reduces uh, pollution, uh, it's, just, it's just kind of shocking, and, and it, it does give a sense of uh, how much the public can, uh, we'll say, be led astray. Well, our thoughts are that, you know, the, the bench benchmarks and the milestones, those were put out by the solar and wind companies over the last 40 years. So this is, this is the part that I, I think, you know, a real adult conversation needs to be had within the policymakers that, you know, after 40 years... And we've been very upfront on this program that solar promised us affordable energy for the last 40 years, and then they really promised it 20 years ago. And they still are not, in all honesty, the most affordable thing that solar is now provided is probably a cell phone charger type technology when you go camping. And I'm being serious. That, that's about the most affordable thing that's probably efficient, correct? Yes, and, and, you know, if, if you're in an isolated village in uh, Africa or South America and, uh, you know, sure. you don't have electric appliances, but you want to charge your cell phone, yeah, that, that's great because yeah. you don't care. You know, you can charge the battery and walk away, uh, whereas if you tell somebody, okay, you can cook your turkey for 40 minutes and then come back in two hours and cook it another 40 minutes, you know, no, no, no consumer wants that. No, no, um, and, and then even in, in wind now, we're, we're on record saying that, a hundred years ago, the farmers were more efficient with wind energy than we are today. The way the farmers, they, they extracted water out of the earth and the way that they powered their pole barn and their barn by using a windmill, that is much more efficient than we have ever, we, we are today with wind energy. And, uh, you know, for, for as far as risk and reward and that sort of thing. Um, talk to me a little bit about that, uh, how, the, you know, they've had 40 years to really come up with something that was supposed to be affordable. What happened? Well, I'll tell you. Okay, so um, I have a chapter in my book, uh, The Peak Oil Scare, uh, in which I talk about uh, how a lot of these uh, technologies get promoted, uh, and I guess you could say over-promoted, and people who like a technology, they don't think critically about it. Um, and you can you can easily find, especially in the internet era, you can find all kinds of references to research about new wonderful technologies. And the problem is that a lot of things can be done in the laboratory, 
uh, and they just don't work out in the real world. Um, you know, I was at MIT for many years, and I knew all kinds of professors who had all kinds of great ideas, and the vast majority of them never paid out. Um, you can see this uh, in electric vehicle batteries. Uh, you know, people have been talking about the great advances for 20 years, and, and they're still not very good. I mean, they're better, but they're nowhere near good enough. Um, and the problem is that, you know, you can always find somebody, an inventor, who will tell you, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And if you say, what does it cost? And I mean, I've literally seen MIT professors ask that question, and they just stare blankly and go, well, or, um, you know, but it works great. Um, you know, you, you can make uh, gasoline out of urine. Um, and I'm sure Budweiser would like to uh, provide some subsidies for that. Um, but, you know, it, it costs a heck of a lot of money, and you can just pump the stuff out of the ground. So uh, the problem is that a, a lot of policy making gets uh, done by people who don't really know what they're doing and who just have very fuzzy, you know, green pie in the sky ideas. And uh, they, especially, I hate to say this, the younger folks. And that was Mike Lynch, the president of the Strategic Energy and Economic Research. To listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe Week in Review. You you try to behave and try not to get your mind blown. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool, joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we talk with Heath Holloway with Titan Solutions. Heath Holloway, Titan Solutions. Excellent, Titan Solutions. Of course, we were talking a little bit before we started the interview. Greeley, Colorado. We both have some common grounds in Greeley, Colorado. Of course, that's where you're located. Talk to me about your company and uh, your office in Greeley, and are you in any other places? Uh, we are in Gillette, Wyoming, so we're in the Powder and DJ Basin. Uh, our headquarters is Greeley, Colorado, uh, of course, because I live here. Um, so we're a containment, a full containment, surface rental, uh, and custom trailer company. Um, so we put containment on locations under frack pads anything that needs to be contained um surface rentals from forklifts loaders light plants anything like that um let's see custom trailers we have cooling trailers climate control trailers shower trailers 
uh, office trailers uh, for locations, you know, any, anything for surface rentals on the surface on location, uh, we do. So I'm looking at your slogan, protecting people and the environment. You capitalize people and environment. That's obviously something you want to make sure that people understand you're, you're putting them as part of your mission, my guess is, is, is that. So talk to me about why people and environment are important in your business. Well, the people are important because they're doing the work. And, uh, you know, uh, they're out there day in, day out helping us succeed. Uh, and we put a lot into them. Uh, we coach, mentor, and train them. Uh, any chance we get, uh, whether you've been in the oil field or you're an outsider coming in, uh, we take the time to, to make sure our people are where they need to be at all times uh, with training, safety, and, and knowing what we're supposed to be doing, uh, knowing the job, having the right tools, that type of thing. And then the, uh, the environment's important um, in all aspects. Uh, so we're trying to, you know, preserve the environment by protecting it with containment and, uh, you know, make sure things are protected, you know, with containment and, and so get away from leaks um you know a lot of producers are not wanting even fresh water on the ground so we, we do everything we can we we take pride in custom containment so uh, you know any shape any form you need we'll, we'll put it out there um uh for the environment and you know to just preserve it for the future uh for our kids and everything uh, that's what we're trying to do the Bakken is part of the Rocky Mountain region in terms of the Shale Play USA maps and according to many, many companies. And so a lot of companies are based out of Denver, maybe Greeley, uh, depending on if they're specific to Weld County. But Denver is kind of a hot spot for a lot of bigger companies, you know, Whiting and et cetera. Uh, when I go to so I've been going down to Colorado for about 10 years uh, for oil and gas specifically. Before then, it was publishing, but now it's specifically oil and gas. I stay in, in Fort Collins, which is not too far from Greeley, uh, you know, right. a stone's throw away. And the reason right. I stay in Fort Collins is, you know, I just I, I don't really care for Denver's traffic. I try to avoid traffic as much as I can. Um, about five years ago, I started noticing when I'm talking to people in the breakfast bars in the morning that work in the oil and gas industry, they'd look over their shoulder before they'd say it. And then of course, flash forward to today. And you know, you've got the governor saying a war on oil and gas. Talk to me a little bit about what your perception has been with the oil and gas industry. You work in it and you live in Greeley. Um, yet you're a Coloradoite. Coloradoan. Well, I don't know the correct word, but uh, Coloradoan. Coloradoan. Thank you. Talk to me about that a little bit, because it would seem to me that um, you, you're kind of in the thick of it. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty interesting right now. Um, what's going on with governor and oil and gas um, and kind of the war on oil and gas? Um, you're you're correct. A lot of people would be scared to say something uh, in the past. I think there's a lot more people willing to talk about oil and gas now. Um, it's a lot of uneducated people, per se, out there. Uh, a lot of people don't even know there's oil and gas here in Colorado uh, sometimes. You're like, yeah, it's all over the place. But um, 
you know, it, it's about educating everybody right now, uh, your employees, their families. So we'll bring people in from oil and gas companies, um, and we'll talk about what's going on in the industry. So our people know what's going on, how it affects us, how it affects everybody, because at the end of the day, it affects everyone um, and, and different industries as well. So it, it's, it's really big right now. Uh, you know, I know there's a, a lot of meetings going on. There's a good group out there, Energy Strong, uh, that's really working for all of us and, and putting the time and effort in to, to be at all these meetings when a lot of people can't be there to, to share the information um, because in the past, nothing would get shared. Uh, so there's a lot of people out there sharing this stuff. And, and as long as we get with our people and, and tell them what's going on, they have a better idea and we can come together as a team and, and, and fight it. What seems to be the biggest challenge that you're seeing from Colorado? Is it is it just the social engineering of the perception of it? Is there an actual you know, legitimate, you know, thing, I guess. Um, I, I was really surprised by it, to be honest. I, I was very surprised by the just the whole, like I said, when people started looking over their shoulders and just that whole kind of ashamedness of it. I, I'm not used to that because, for me, the light switch was never political. Energy was never political. And that's what it really became. It became... Almost like if you support oil and gas, you supported the extremism of a political party. Does that make sense? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, uh, that's true. Um, I, I think it just comes down to education and what oil and gas is. Um, you, you know, from plastics to uh, cars to everything, it's it just coming down to understanding what this is. And if, if it's we could all take the time and educate everyone on what's going on and what oil and gas means to other industries and, and communities, you know, we'd have a better effect. Um, but no one's wanting to do that. If you get on these um, social media neighborhood pages. And that was Heath Holloway with Titan Solutions. To listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. That's going to do it for today's program. I'd like to thank Heath Holloway for coming on the program. Mike Lynch with the Strategic Energy and Economic Research, as well as Riley Sassy with Red River Company. We had a great program for today. All the interviews are available in their entirety at thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. We'll be back next week at this time on this radio station. And for those of you who are streaming us on the internet, thank you very much. And for those of you downloading us on a podcast like at iTunes or iHeartRadio, thank you for choosing us as part of your content selection. From the staff here at the Multimedia Cafe, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to savor life and enjoy the spice. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. 
Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. 